Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Good morning. Welcome to What's Going On, a show about making a difference in our lives and our communities. I'm Lorraine Ballard Morrill. Tens of thousands are diagnosed each year with epilepsy, but there's still stigma and misconceptions that can get in the way of proper treatment and management. We'll be talking about that today. We check in as we do once a month with Angela Giampolo for a feature we call Speak Out. She's on the road with a caravan of hope, providing free legal assistance to members of the LGBTQIA community all month. But first, President Trump has been indicted once again. Uh, this time for uh, illegally, uh, allegedly, uh, holding uh, classified documents in his compound in Florida. It is uh, just one in a long line of indictments or potential indictments that former President Trump faces. So let's parse it a little bit. And we're joining us to help us make some sense of it all, if there's sense to be made, is Kira Bradford Gray. She is a partner at Montgomery McCracken, Walker and Rhodes, and former chief defender at the Philadelphia Defenders Association. And uh, thank you so much for joining us here today. And there's so much to to talk about, but let's talk about the latest indictment. He has been charged with holding classified documents and also lying about it. Uh, tell us a little bit about what is uh, up with this indictment. Yeah, so I think that that the second part of what you described is really what's driving the indictment. It's not just having the documents, the classified documents, because as we know, we've seen other people who have left the White House um, in various roles that have been found to have classified documents. But it was Trump's refusal to give them back when asked for them back and him saying that these are no longer classified documents because I said so when I was a president. Now, there is definitely some question as to whether or not he can declassify documents that really talk about the threats to America in terms of our national defense, our securities, our weaknesses, and some of our strategies to deal with some of our other, you know, the counterparts across the world. Not only that, Trump, when he was asked on several occasions to give back these documents of national security, he lied. That's basically the the premise. And I know people hate that word, but really, that's really the premise in saying he had no more so as to cause his attorney to give a false certificate stating that they no longer had classified documents within their possession later to only find out not to be true because there was a big red stamp on some of those documents (laughs) saying classified. (laughs) Right, right, right. So this trial, as with many trials, uh, the Trump strategy is usually to delay, delay, delay. But uh, so it's most likely, I imagine, I think you would agree that whatever happens will probably occur after the November, after the elections, right? So if he is in fact convicted, does that preclude him from becoming president or being elected? 
Well, you know, I just heard uh, yesterday that the judge in this case has actually set a trial date for January of 2024. So this judge understands the complications of if he is elected president, can you jail a sitting president? This is really something that's kind of unprecedented. And they're trying to figure out what that means. But the judge in this case is moving this case along pretty expeditiously and wanting this trial to go on well before uh, the general election for the president. So to set a date in January 2024, it's now going to be up to Trump and his lawyers to try to delay this. And we'll have to see what they come up with in order to get the judge to change that date of January 2024 as a trial date. And if she does have that as a trial date, this case will be decided because it's not it's not going to take months to try. This case will be decided before the general election. So this is going to be something to watch out for. This is just one of a number of court cases that the that Trump is involved with. There's so many different things that are happening, so many court cases. Uh, something that Trump said, and I, I, I'm going to paraphrase it, but basically he said something like, you know, if I shot somebody on Fifth Avenue, he could get away with it essentially. Well, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that's, in fact, accurate? Well, I think that was in his world at that time. And this is why he's acted so brazenly with some of these areas that we're seeing and we're scratching our heads saying, how can someone do something like that and get away with it? But I will say this, Lorraine, remember in 2016 and he was running against Hillary and his chant on crooked Hillary for using an email server where classified information can go to an uh, unsecured server and what he said, lock her up, lock her up. Those are the chants. Well, this is about 50 times worse. And people are yelling, do not lock him up. Do not prosecute him. Do not weaponize the justice system. It just shows the bigotry that we're dealing with in our country. And it definitely shows the fact that uh, Trump has always seen himself as above the law, no matter how critical he is of other people's actions. What should we look out for in the coming months? I think we should start looking out for Trump's defense strategy through motions practice, what information and evidence they're going to try to exclude. And one of the key pieces of evidence that I do believe they're going to try to exclude is the conversations between his attorney and Trump. Those are going to be damning evidence. And there is attorney client privilege that attaches to some conversations, but not conversations about future crimes or ongoing crimes or possible future threats of crimes. This is going to be an interesting parse to see how the judge handles such a motion where I can pretty much anticipate a defense attorney doing that. Any defense attorney worth their salt would be making sure that that his lawyer, who he has shared really confident and a lot of information with, does not have to take that stand. Oh, thank you for shedding some light on this very complicated and tangled legal situation with former President Trump. Kara Bradford Gray, who is a partner at Montgomery McCracken, Walker and Rhodes, and former chief defender at the Defenders Association of Philadelphia. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lorraine. I enjoy talking to you always. You're listening to What's Going On. We're going to be talking about epilepsy today and to uh, clarify some misconceptions that people have and also talk about the stigma that sometimes prevents individuals from getting the proper diagnosis. Joining us right now is Rachel Robinson. She's an epilepsy advocate for the Epilepsy Foundation of Eastern Pennsylvania. So, Rachel, thank you so much for joining us here today. And for those who don't know, what is epilepsy? Thank you, Lorraine. So epilepsy is a neurological disorder that causes recurring seizures. A seizure is just an abnormal burst of electrical activity in the brain 
that causes a change in your behavior, movement, consciousness, it's definitely more common than I think people realize. Well, you um, had a diagnosis of epilepsy. Talk a little more about what caused you to decide to, to see a medical professional in order to see what was happening with you. I was 25 when I had my first seizure. I didn't know anything about epilepsy. So when someone mentioned to me, it sounds like you're having seizures, I was completely shocked. So I was having brief moments where I was staring and I was losing awareness. I was talking to a medical professional and they said, it sounds like what you're having are seizures. And like I said, I was very confused because I wasn't having convulsive seizures. That's all I thought seizures were. That's all I thought it was, was having convulsions. You know, it's what you see on television. So I went to a neurologist and they did the whatever testing they needed to do. And I got the diagnosis of epilepsy. That opened my world. Right. So it can vary from, as you mentioned, a full convulsion to something that's uh, almost uh, imperceptible where you might be staring off into space and then lose yourself for a, a few minutes or a minute, and then you're back. Now, the question that uh, that might people might have is, what is the impact on your life? And why do some people feel that there's a stigma associated with epilepsy? I think there's a stigma because in my 19 years of experience with epilepsy, people don't see epilepsy like they do other health conditions. Seizures start in the brain. And when you get into things with your brain, there can be a judgment. And I'll just say, people might think you're crazy because you're acting strange, but the medical professionals do have a good understanding, but there's still a lot we we don't know. So I think people, in my experience, they don't see epilepsy like they would a heart condition or diabetes. Right. And I think certainly media doesn't help when, as you say, the depiction of epilepsy is often the extreme of it. When people have convulsions, they might be foaming at the mouth and then people are having to come in and do whatever they have to to keep that person safe. Now, I wonder if you can talk a bit about what the impact has been on your life. For me, epilepsy has been challenging, to say the least. The impact that that it's had on my life, I've gone through a lot of cognitive challenges, for example, like with short and long-term memory loss. I had brain surgery, I guess about five years into epilepsy. So I was having about a dozen seizures a week. Mm-hmm. Um, I tried several medications that hadn't given any seizure control. After trying two or more, in some cases, I don't know if it's in all cases, but the idea of surgery comes up. So since they were able to locate where in my brain the seizures were coming from, I was a a candidate for a brain surgery. So I had brain surgery, which further diminished my memory, but it did decrease my seizure frequency. So I went from having dozens a week to a dozen a year Mm. over the span of several years. You know, living with epilepsy, I don't have a driver's license anymore. So that's another impact that it's had on my life. And then the, the like I said, with the memory loss, whenever I joke around with friends and I say, whenever people start off a story that says, remember when we went to, it's not likely that I remember because of the memory loss I have. Within the last 10 years, I developed a, a rare trigger. The type of seizures I have, they're called, it's called musicogenic epilepsy. So when I hear music, I have seizures. Mm. So that's 
that's actually been the toughest challenge I've faced in life because it's caused me to withdraw from so many things that bring me joy. Yes. Well, gosh, um, not to be able to listen to music. Um, yeah. That's a real missing in a life. And I grew up, grew up as a dancer. My husband and I met in a salsa class. Uh-huh. Um, so withdrawing from life, that's been really tough. Yeah. And I wonder if we can also talk about the stigma. Um, I, I touched on it briefly, but did you experience stigma at all? So in my case, I, I did experience some stigma from epilepsy, but from the beginning, I got tied in to all the things that would help with that. So I saw a great neurologist right in the beginning. My neurologist actually told me about the Epilepsy Foundation of Eastern Pennsylvania in probably my first or second appointment. So I got tied into the epilepsy community from the very beginning. And I met other people with epilepsy. And then I had an amazing support network. My boyfriend at the time, my husband now, has always been my number one advocate, even when I didn't think it was going to be around for the long haul. I mean, I had the medical care. I had the support from the epilepsy community. I had the support of my family and friends. I get maybe more of the story, you know, get get those things from the beginning. And it really does help reduce the stigma because I've always had resources. I've always been open to talking about it because I've had that support from the beginning. I love that. I love that uh, you have this circle of support, including your husband. And it's wonderful that you also found it from the Epilepsy Foundation, which has a campaign called Change Our Epilepsy Story. And you're actually doing exactly that. You're telling your story. Tell us more about the campaign. The Change Our Epilepsy Story is a campaign that was started to get people to talk about epilepsy and seizures. The goal was to encourage people to share their experiences so that other people with epilepsy would be empowered to share their experiences and to seek help as well. That's so important. And I think that, as we touched on before, sometimes the stigma can prevent a person from seeking help. I think in your case, you're just such a great role model uh, for those out there who might be listening because you realized that something was wrong and you were getting feedback from someone who cared about you. But you did the thing that some people don't do is to take the next step, and that is to seek medical assistance, because that's what so many of us struggle with, is going to seek the medical support and help. And so you are telling your story, and that is a powerful thing. And for those out there who are listening, who might be grappling with the possibility that they are living with epilepsy, what would be your message to them? My message to those people would be get the medical help that you need, but also learn the facts about the condition. I I wanted to share just one thing that has made my journey with epilepsy so much more bearable was that I learned the facts about epilepsy. And I I wanted to share a couple of facts with epilepsy. In 60% of the cases, the cause is unknown. So from the door, I have people ask me, well, what caused your epilepsy and what happened? We know that the most common causes of epilepsy are brain trauma, brain infection, stroke. And I didn't have any of those in 60% of the cases. So in, in more of half the cases, the cause is unknown. And we just have to be okay with that. That's where we are right now. Another epilepsy fact that I learned that has made this journey, like I said, more bearable one out of three people living with epilepsy continue 
to live with uncontrolled seizures despite medications, surgeries, diets, implants. So I'm one of those people as well. So those facts help me to see that I'm not alone. Mm. And guess what? There's a lot of people out here. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In my situation, and and I've found those people. So I would say for people who are living with a condition or they're not sure about something, learn the facts and know that you're not alone and that there is a community of support out there. The the Epilepsy Foundation, I really don't know what I would have done without them in my life. I started as a, a volunteer coming out to local our local epilepsy walk that we have every year. I came into the office and helped out with preparing for events. Now I work for the Epilepsy Foundation Eastern Pennsylvania, but it's just been an amazing network of support. So for people out there living with a condition or maybe they don't know that they're living with it, you're not alone. Even with chronic conditions like this, where one out of three people were still living with epilepsy, despite you know all the things that we've been through, knowing that I've, I've met so many people in this community has made it so much more bearable. Mm. I love what you have to say. Number one is that know the facts. Uh, number two, find your community. And that's what the Epilepsy Foundation has provided. And number three, and perhaps most importantly of of all, is if you feel as though there's something wrong, get it checked out. Because there are treatments, although, as you say, there's a lot out there that we don't know, a lot of diagnoses. We don't know what causes more than 50% of people who have epilepsy. But there are some treatments. As you said, you had brain surgery. There are implants. There's some diet strategies and some drug strategies. So one of those things might help someone out there who is living with epilepsy. But most importantly of all, getting the information and finding that community. And that's what the Epilepsy Foundation provides. If people want more information about epilepsy, where do they go? People can go to changeourstory.org, and that's the campaign for the Change Our Epilepsy Story. That's where people can go to start talking about the epilepsy. And they can also call our local office, 215-629-5003. We service all of Eastern Pennsylvania. We offer seizure first aid trainings. We offer summer camp for kids with epilepsy, support groups for you to meet other people. That's where you can go to find the support you need because the support is there. And you, in fact, are telling your story. And for that, we truly appreciate it. Rachel Robinson, Epilepsy Advocate for the Epilepsy Foundation of Eastern Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for sharing that information with us today. Thank you, Lorraine. Joining me, as she does once a month every month, is Angela Giampolo from Giampolo Law Group and also Philly Gay Lawyer. And she is on the road joining us 
for that segment that we call Speak Out, talking about issues uh, specific to the LGBTQIA community, but also to the rest of us as well, because there are lots of very important issues that do impact us all. So, first of all, tell us, you're on the caravan of hope, traveling around the country, giving out uh, free legal advice to folks in the LGBTQIA plus community. Tell us where you're at now. I forget, but uh, I believe we're in Birmingham, Alabama, on our way to Memphis. Wow, wow, wow. Well, I think the the very point that you're going to some of these smaller towns is that uh, access to free legal assistance geared towards the LGBTQIA community is not always that available. And that's why you're doing this thing. Tell us more. Yeah, and uh, not just that legal services aren't as available, but also with all of the anti-LGBTQ legislation being passed, you know, especially down in, in the South, you know, the laws and regulations that that govern LGBTQ folks are getting uh, stricter and stricter, harder and harder, making access to health care harder. I called it the Caravan of Hope, um, you know, at the outset six years ago when I had the idea, but I didn't realize to what extent, you know, that it brought hope to people. We were in Charlotte, North Carolina, and the legal assistance that we helped people with was very simple, but really the hope that it brought folks just to be able to share their story, like just to be able to tell us what they are going through, what they have gone through, being able to do it on film, being able to, you know, for the documentary part, like that the Caravan of Hope is bringing hope to folks in in so many other ways other than you know, its intended impact, which was which was legal services. The last time we talked, we did talk about uh, book banning. We talked about some of the uh, anti-LGBTQ legislation that's going around in the country. It seemed as though we were going forward in many ways, but it seems also that we're walking back in many ways. And And I wonder if you can kind of give us a little summary of, of the lay of the land right now, because there are lots, there's lots of states across the country that are enacting these LGBTQIA laws that are um, really regressive. Yeah, I mean, it's more like sometimes they say two steps forward, three steps back. This is like two steps forward, nine steps back. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's really, really aggressive and happening very quickly. HRC announced for the first time ever in, in its 40-year history, HRC's a human rights campaign, um, announced for the first time ever a uh, national travel advisory that if LGBTQ folks are going to go from state to state, they did it on the day that we left. I was like, whoops, um, here we are traveling <laughs> to 14 states, you know, to to really educate yourself as a member of the LGBTQIA community, that if you're going to travel to multiple states or across state lines, take a look at what the laws say in in that state. And as far as what's going on, there are over 550 bills that have been either introduced past. There's a big difference between being introduced and then becoming law. So uh, Alabama, for instance, we met uh, with the executive director of AIDS Alabama, and and he worked in policy and advocacy before that at the state capitol. They had eight bills, but really only one passed. But next year, unfortunately, we become a political pawn, have been, you know, for years, but it's re- you're really seeing it now where politicians are actively campaigning their anti-LGBTQ platform as like a thing. So while seven died in committee, 
he's not so hopeful about about you know the next term so it's real you know tomorrow we're in memphis and there's going to be a drag show as where uh, a gay bar is hosting us in their parking lot there's going to be hiv testing there's going to be a drag show memphis in particular was very they went the protest route so knoxville said no pride whatsoever no drag shows i don't know why that their thought process was to go the silent route uh but memphis definitely went the other way and they just celebrated their pride this past weekend and by far their numbers were the highest they've ever seen over 20,000 people and and typically it's around like 10 to 12 wow. so folks are mobilizing and in times of of oppression it does bring out things like the caravan of hope and oh see we're moving yeah i see that <laughs> um, uh, it does course. bring out <laughs> <laughs> this is video for me so, I, I can see you you're in your rv and now i see that you are moving so uh well you know i guess my question to you is uh you know maybe there are a lot of folks out there who say this is not great but why why should i even care if they're not part of this community why should people care you and I have talked about this several times, both personally, you know, as well as on the air, that uh, ultimately, if there's one person, one community that's being oppressed, then eventually they come for others. Right. And even if right, you're at the top of the privilege pyramid and ultimately you have family members, you have friends just living in cities and states where this level of fear, right, where folks live in fear, those are your colleagues at work, right? They're your teacher, they're your best friend, your sister, what have you. So even if there's not a day in any near future where you yourself could be oppressed, that that ultimately you live in this greater democracy, you live in this greater society, and you're a part of it, right? So do you want to be a part of the fear, the the hate, the vitriol, that's why people should care is that ultimately, you know, your teacher, your your family member, your friends, a colleague could be feeling that fear or is dealing with the oppression. And it's just part of, you know, what makes a village. I think that uh, what was so depressing and disturbing is I know that when I was coming up, you know, when I was in college, I remember uh, uh, a good friend of mine who I clearly knew was gay for the entire time that I knew her. We were walking along and, and we had graduated and she said, oh, by the way, did you know that I was gay? And I was thinking to myself, yeah, of course I did. But the fact that she had to wait till that moment for so long, knew her for four years, to feel, have the courage to, to tell that to me, to me, that was an incredible breakthrough. But then I think now... There are going to be so many people who are living under the fear that if they do come out, if they do express who they really are, they're going to experience consequences and, and therefore maybe will be afraid to be able to say, you know, this is who I am. It was such a great breakthrough for my friend to just come out to me. This is the 70s, so this is a long time ago. But, uh, but, but, you know, at that time, I thought, this is great. She's, she's able to feel free enough to be able to share with me who she is. And I wonder how many people are now holding back and retreating back into the closet because they're afraid. Absolutely. I mean, I can share this because I'm not sharing names, but one of the 
lawyers that is helping us. You know, I need a lawyer in every city, right? And in some of these cities, it was very difficult to find a lawyer that would help. And it turns out that one of the lawyers, unbeknownst to the folks that connected us, is a closeted trans man and did not want to be public. So helped. Every other lawyer is on the graphic, on, you know, but in this particular situation, no. So it's like that was the 70s. But here down south, it's very real. And again, everyone that came on the caravan that shared their story, for some of them, it was the first time truly sharing everything that they had gone through. Several of them, most of them are young, but several of them aging out of foster care over their LGBTQIA status being in foster care, transphobic parents, you know, what have you. So it's very real that that folks will not come out, will not be themselves. And a very, you know, long-term consequence of living that way is the shame that you then internalize and have as an adult. It takes a lifetime to sort of shed that shame. What you experience in the 70s is a very, very real experience for folks today. If not everybody is free, then nobody is truly free, right? You know, it's it's exactly it, it's something that yeah. I'm totally paraphrasing Dr. Martin Luther King, but you know, it's it's very important for all of us to support to support everybody uh, in their right to be who they are. And you are doing an amazing thing by going to a lot of these states where some of these laws are being enacted, providing a safe haven for those to receive information, support, and legal advice. If people want to keep track of of your journey and uh, also want to know more about the work that you do, because you do a lot of work in the community. So tell us how we can follow you. Yes, definitely follow our itinerary, um, caravanofolk.lgbt backslash itinerary to go right to the itinerary. But And you can also follow us on Instagram at caravanofolk.lgbt. And back home in Philly, my law firm, Jampolo Law Group, or Philly Gay Lawyer as an advocate. So you can find me there, but definitely through June 30th. June 30th is the service day in Philly. So I don't know where we'll be in Philly yet, where we're going to park this 32-foot monstrosity. (laughs) Um, But we'll figure it out and definitely come out and support us on June 30th. And and you can follow us at caravanofhope.lgbt. Fantastic. You are bringing hope to so many across the country. Angela Giampolo, Giampolo Law Group, Philly Gay Lawyer, Caravan of Hope. Thank you, as always, for sharing your thoughts and your opinions with us today. Thank you, Lorraine. You can listen to all of today's interviews by going to our station website and typing in keyword community. You can also listen on the iHeartRadio app, keywords Philadelphia Community Podcast. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Lorraine Ballard. I'm Lorraine Ballard-Morrill, and I stand for service to our community and media that empowers. What will you stand for? You've been listening to What's Going On, and thank you. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.